demonstrate something real quick here to kind of give you some uh, direction of what I'm going to be doing. So yes, I've just finished my first week in the house, and I, um, I, I, I don't want to spend time up here talking about this on Sunday mornings unless it's something specifically that you need to know, okay? Um, for example, I'll give you one right now. Uh, there's already a bill that's been presented, another one's coming down the pipe. Uh, that is, the first one is going to take away all rights to any kind of um, AR gun platforms. And the next one is going to take away rights to all guns in Colorado. They're gonna, they're, they, the bill is set to confiscate all guns in Colorado. Okay, Our house is so liberal and so crazy that they will pass this through. But it has to go through the Senate, and they're a little saner, uh, still liberal. And then if it gets through that, then it's going to go straight from the governor to the, to the Supreme Court. So, so just be thinking about some of that kind of stuff. You say, well, I'm not a gun person. That's not the point. Uh, the point is Second Amendment talks about tyranny, and that's what is happening to us right now. So I, I will be talking more about, about this kind of stuff on Wednesday nights. I did spend some time Wednesday night talking about um, the thing Monday that got me in the news. Um, kind of a big deal now. But, um, <clears throat> but I, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on Sundays talking about that kind of stuff. So, uh, so that's why, you know, if you want, if you, you can either tune in on Wednesday nights or you can come here and I'll, I'll, you, I will break that stuff down a little bit more. Why, what happened, all this kind of stuff. Because there's a thousand things going on behind the scenes that you don't know uh, when you're doing this. This spring, within, over the next few weeks, we are going to be talking to the bank. We're going to be interacting about what it takes to get the next stage of our, um, of our uh, expansion going. Uh, there's, there's pictures of the expansion around the other side of that wall out there, if you still haven't seen those. But, but we've got a lot of the infrastructure done, but we need now to actually build the building. And so we're going to be looking, we're going to be interacting with the bank. So this is what we need. We need you first to commit to this, to say financially I'm going to commit to this. You guys know we don't do a lot of big financial pushes around here. I don't like that. I don't, I don't agree with that. You're either on board or you're not is the way I look at it, Okay. Um, if you're on board, we want you to give financially to this monthly um, because the bank looks at that. And the amount of people monthly that are giving is what the b bank looks at. If there's only four or five in the church that are giving monthly, the bank says nobody's really bought into this. Now, that's not the case. Many of you are giving. But the more different people we have giving and also then the amount that's being given. And so we'll be, we'll be keeping you apprised of this over the next couple months. Um, it's, it's been our goal to start this spring. Uh, since we finished the infrastructure stuff, and uh, we're ready to do it. All right, so this, <clears throat> this message is a continuation of the, uh, the starting last week of just kind of the foundations of who we are and, and what these foundations mean. Now, the title of this is Foundations of Christianity, but I, I think sometimes we kind of take that um, too casual, okay, I don't see these just as foundations. I see these as, you know, the scripture talks about you build your house upon a rock, and that's Jesus. But that we're building our house, we're building our existence on something. I think part of the reason with this is because uh, we, our, our country is changing so quickly right now that what we kind of would just, we, we, you know, in Christianity, specifically American church, we like to play with all the fluff and the stuff around the edges and the cool new thing and the cool new book or whatever. And there's, there's nothing totally bad about that if, you, if your foundation is consistent, regular in your, in your spiritual walk with the Lord at all times. You have to have things that your life is built upon, not things that you're just interested in within Christian understanding the kingdom of God. 
right? And so these things, starting last week with understanding of prayer. Now, on Wednesday nights, the week before, on some of these, not all of these, I will be talking about it in a different direction and more of a teaching thing. Uh, so this last Wednesday, we talked about what we're going to look at this morning, which is the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God. As we are a place in our country now where we cannot just keep playing um, go-to-church-once-a-week Christianity. We just can't. We, we're, the, the reason our country is so broken right now is because the church has been doing that too long. We come in, we kind of watch what's happening, we listen a little bit, and, and then some churches take it all the way to the point where it's like a full concert, light show, and everything, and then we feel good and we go home. That's, that's, that's ruined us. It's absolutely ruined us. We've got to be people of prayer. We have to be people of the Word. This has to be foundational to us, or, or we're going to continue to, to just come, just disintegrate as the body of Christ. And then, and then the next generation is not going to have this truth and this understanding of who God is and the foundations that, we, that our lives have been built on in Christ. And so to me, this isn't just foundations. This is a necessity. We're at a, we're at a point, I believe, at a point of desperation. And, and over 30 years of pastoring, I have watched the transition happen over and over to the point where I believe we passed the point of desperation a while back, that we've got to get in to who Jesus is and understand what we believe, why we believe it, and that this is who we are, not just what we do. And so this year, continually, we want to be these three things, people of faith, people of witness, and people of purpose. And we're going to hone in on that and continue. So this morning I'm talking about the Word, but the title of this is, is uh, most people say Logos. Um, it's actually Logos. We're, 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 um, we're going to look at what it means, what Logos means, and that Jesus is the Logos, and Word, and all these different terms that are used in Scripture that are all describing the same thing. And uh, the fact that, um, <clears throat> that Jesus is this eternal Logos that he is the word of life, that he's the sword of the spirit. And there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more d- descriptive terms that we could use that are through this, but I'm going tr- to hone in on those. So the first thing is that Jesus is the proclamation of God. And that's what, that's what, um, um, that's what logos, the word, means. It is the nature and the function of Jesus to be the proclamation of God. That is, that is who he is. It's not what he does. When it says that Jesus is the word, that means he is the proclamation of God, or, or another way to say it, kind of, neither one of these are full encompassing, but, but he is the verbalization of God, that Jesus is God, he is the Godhead, that he is the same as God the Father, same as the Holy Spirit, but they're also separate. This is not a oneness theology. They are completely separate, too. Um, and, and here's the thing. I, I usually uh, bring this out when I'm talking in the journey, and I'm teaching on um, Jesus and the journey and, and some of this kind of stuff. This, this story, this was years ago. My, my boys were like uh, late elementary-ish kind of thing. And, uh, and I'm sitting in the living room and I'm hearing them, you know, go at each other about something, right? So I, I muted the TV because who doesn't like these kind of conversations? And I, I'm listening to them. One of the boys, and I can't remember which one was which on any of this, but one of the boys said to the other one, they were a- upset at each other, right? And they said, oh, yeah, well, my friend is bigger than you. And since my boys were always fairly small in elementary, nobody could argue. He's probably talking about, like, the mouse in the kitchen. But sorry, son, that was – I feel bad about that. So, so then the, uh, the next sentence is um, – 
The next brother says back to him, he says, oh yeah, well dad's bigger than your friend. And I'm sitting in the living room like, that's right. Bring that fourth grader over here, we'll show him. (laughs) And then he says, the other one says, oh yeah, well Jesus is bigger than dad. I'm like, got me, got me there. And then one of them said, oh yeah, well God is bigger than Jesus. And now I had to go in there and have a little sermon because that's not true. (laughs) God's not bigger than Jesus. They're the same. Their authorities and responsibilities are different, but they're the same. And and the Logos is divine. He's God. And, And he is functioning as the proclamation and the verbalization of that Godhead. And this is, this is so, so going to John chapter 1, I love this. And by the way, so, I, I noticed this here. Somebody asked me about this. Uh, this, was, this was a while back. Um, talking about, th- th- this question always comes up. What about Mormonism? Is, is Mormonism the same as Christianity? I mean, guys, it's not. And this is one of the ways. If you, can, if you can have a Mormon show you their Bible, not a Bible that they may pick up off the shelf at your house and use when they're trying to talk to you, but the Mormon Bible, the approved Mormon Bible has been changed in a lot of ways. John chapter 1 is one of the biggest things that they had to change because John chapter 1 destroys all of Mormon doctrine in just four or five verses. Completely destroys it because Mormons believe that Jesus was created by God, not God before all things. Okay? John chapter 1. In the beginning, the Word, the Logos, already existed. Before there was anything, the, the Word existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. And I'm going to explain that in a little bit. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. He, he was the creator too, though. Sometimes people say, well, that means He wasn't doing the creating. No, he, remember, He's the proclamation. God, God is the, is the uh, judge, and He speaks this stuff, or the, the Trinity understands this stuff, and then Jesus is the proclamation of it. Jesus speaks it into existence, and the Holy Spirit is the power that makes it happen. They all have their place in this. The Word gave life to everything that was created. His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish. I love the fact that John... So, so you probably know some of this stuff, but um, if, you go to, if you go to Bible school, like, like one of your very first classes is uh, the Gospels, and there's something called the Synoptic Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is not one of these. John, John is the Gospel, too. It's the fourth Gospel, but it is nothing like the first three. The first three, Matthew wrote to the Jews. Luke wrote to the Gentiles. Mark was writing a really quick book to be sent out as like a track so it could get mobility. In fact, there was two versions of it, a shorter and a longer version, so that they could, they could get it out there. But John, he completely changes everything. And he transforms the language itself to describe the language giver. And he starts with the very first sentence in the beginning, taking the exact quote from Genesis, trying to make sure that there's no confusion, that the word that began creation is the word that took on human flesh, according to verse 14, and became God so we could see the glory of God on this earth, the writtenness, the proclamation, the verbalization of the, the, the Trinity, the Godhead. And this is Jesus that you and I get to serve. I, I think sometimes 
We can so take the Lord casually that we forget how amazing it is that Jesus took time off from everything to put on human flesh so that we could see the word, not just know the word. That's amazing to me. And then in the beginning, he is the one doing the creating. People say this is a quote from scripture, but I think most of the time when people say it, they, they, they're not thinking the way that is actually, uh, that the Lord is trying to tell us. When they say, well, um, that God cannot lie, okay? And Jesus cannot lie. So process this with me. The way we would think about it, if I'm saying this, if I'm saying this about anybody in this room, if I say that um, you cannot lie, we're seeing it from a moral derivative. We're not seeing that from a transcendent concept. See, if I lie, I, I can choose to lie or not lie. That is, a, that is a, a moral decision that I'm making. Jesus cannot lie, not from the concept of a moral. So we always address it, well, he is perfect and he's sinless, so therefore he cannot lie. That is not what it's saying. Jesus does not, not lie from a moral concept But because he is the Logos, he is the proclamation of God. He is the proclamation of truth. When Jesus says something, it becomes. That's why he can't lie. When he speaks, it is. It is the norm. When you say, well, this is the norm for us. You know, if Jesus says, well, the sky is purple, the sky becomes purple, and you say, well, it can't become purple because the reason it's blue is the reflected, reflected light from the sun and all this stuff. The Word spoke all of that into existence. The, the sky is blue because the Word said it. If, if He says it's purple, then all of the ways it's going to work then will be just as real as it works now because He's the Word. When He speaks, it is Guys, this is why when you grab onto parts of his word and you pull them into your existence and you live those out in your life and you speak those out in your life and you pray those out in your life, you're speaking what the Logos has said, not what you've said. Not something that you have declared. I had the opportunity the end of this week, Friday. Friday, the house um, uh, recognized and celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And... um, and and the it was a very fearful day for most of the Republicans because no matter what you say can get twisted and turned or whatever the case is. And and I looked forward to this. And um and in fact the Republican caucus, we started very poorly Monday. I won't go into that. Our Republican caucus did not act Republican. By Friday, we've been talking to him. We had some very, I'm saying the, there's three or four of us that are very conservative. We had some very, very serious conversations with our Republican caucus and our leadership and, uh, and explained this is what being a Republican is. And we're going to help you do that as much as we can. And so then we get to the end, and this is a scary moment, a scary day. And so they came to the conclusion that we're going to take this stand against the resolution and Scott will give the speech. You know, the part of the reason is they're like, you want to go way out on that limb, fella? You go way out. We reserve the right to cut it off. Nobody said that out loud, but that's what they were saying. We, you, you step one sentence out of line, and we will not be there for you. That was very obvious. So, But here's what I spoke about is the fact that Martin Luther King Jr., he was a Christian, a reverend first. His father was a reverend, a pastor. His grandfather was a pastor. The reason that Martin Luther King Jr. could know that there was such a thing as racial equality 
and, and the, the, and the uh, quality of all humanity everywhere is not because he got that in his mind as a human. No people group does that. All people groups result to violence and slavery and control and everything. That's called being a human. Whoever's the bigger gets to have dominion over the littler. That's always the way it is. And I said, the reason that Jesus, I mean, the reason that Martin Luther King Jr. established an understanding that he could fight for racial equality is because he got that from the Bible. And he says this over and over and over. And so I just read many of his quotes from his speeches and from his sermons of when he talked about Jesus and when he talked about Jesus gave him this and that he is also carrying the gospel because the gospel came from Jesus and Jesus brought us freedom and Jesus died so we could have freedom and all these different things. It became very tense in that room because I said freedom is not a frivolous human thing. It's a Jesus thing. Now, here's the thing. Here's, here's the part of that afterwards. Um, this lady got up afterwards and said, this is not a church. Another representative, this is not a church. We should not be acting like it's a church. And here's the thing. She's wrong. You know why? Because you're the body of Christ. And according to Scripture, I am the church. If I go into the grocery store, that's a church. If I walk out into the woods, that's a church. How many of you ever experienced the presence of God standing in the trees and the mountains? You know you know the church is not a building. We're going to expand a building. We're not building the church. You're the church. I'm the church. And when we step somewhere, we, if we are representing God properly, we are the church in that moment. And we represent that. And so while she, I mean, she can say that. She got upset about it, but she's not my boss. So I almost, you don't know how many times I want to go up to that microphone and say, Motion, uh, she's not my boss, and then just go sit down. <laughs> but they don't like it when you do that stuff. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. Nothing was created except through Him. Now, here's the creative thing. I, I, I said this before. I love this depiction. I think this is the most amazing thing that I've ever seen having to do with this and the first two chapters of Genesis. C.S. Lewis writes the Chronicles of Narnia. And in one of the books, they're taken to, to the lamppost. You have to read the books to understand it all. But they're taken to a moment where Aslan, the, the lion who is Jesus in the book, he's Jesus, that he steps onto this barren nothingness of a planet and he, be, and he opens his mouth and he begins to sing. And as he sings, mountains burst forth. Trees come up. Rivers start running across this landscape. And we see the entire planet come alive. Why? Because the Logos, the proclamation of truth and life, just breathed it into existence through his voice. I think C.S. Lewis gave the best description of what is encapsulated very quickly in, in Genesis 1 and 2 in the first part of this, that he spoke. And when he spoke, it happened. It was. It became. When Jesus speaks in your life, the details of your life at that point are irrelevant because when he speaks into your life, it is and it becomes because he's the, he's the Logos. 
He is the proclamation. Everything about him is truth. The second thing, the word of God is alive. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing. We could just make a whole sermon out of that, right? This is one of the things human beings we do so well. We complain and argue. We, we, my daughter gave Lynn and I a hard time the other day because we, Lynn and I pick at each other all the time, constantly. But, um, okay, just so you know up front, this is me being romantic, okay? Because it's going to be hidden to you if you don't understand me and her and our relationship and everything, okay? I walked over to her and I said, well, I guess I have to kiss you because you don't apparently believe in that anymore. But that was romance, okay? <laughs> so... And, and Emily said, you guys can even argue about romantic things. I'm like, yeah, because 32 years, you learn. It takes a while, but you can get it under your belt. <laughs> stay with it. For some of you younger ones here, just stay with it. You'll get there. But it's amazing how, how easy it is for us as human beings to do that, right? We can complain and argue about everything. Complain and argue. Complain and, argue. and he's saying, don't do that. So that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. If you're children of God, you're going to live clean, innocent lives. If you're not living clean, innocent lives, it's because you're not striving to be a child of God. You're striving to be a, a child of self, the world, Satan, the flesh, all that stuff. He said, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Now he's talking about, this is small w word. He's talking about, the scriptures, the Bible. But Jesus is also called the word of life. See, this is the cool thing about Jesus being the word, is we read uh, words on a page in, in what we call the Bible, but those are actually the heartbeat and the proclamation of God to us from him. It is God declaring himself through himself to us. He is the word, and, and he is, see, the word the word word can be a noun or a verb. And for God, it's even way more than that. The word being something physical, the Bible, and the word being the, 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 um, a verb to us, that it is something that is happening to us. And Jesus is that. Jesus is the all-encompassing. So that when we see word of life, we understand that Jesus is the life that, that him being the word of the Logos brings. He is life, and he brings that to us. How? Through the written, but also, which is the proclamation, but also through the verbiage of who he is, and the verbiage, as, as Logan said earlier, the, the verbalization of that gospel to other people. That's life to people. Because you're not just witnessing to somebody. You're giving them life when you tell them about Jesus. The only other option on this planet is death. There is either Jesus the life or everything else which is death. And we've got, to, we've got to get into life to process this. He said, hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. I have had that conversation so much over this last week with, with the Republican caucus. They say, why get up and fight if you're going to be voted against anyway? Why waste your time and your breath? Because... This is truth. 
Just because truth gets voted down doesn't change that it's truth. And here's the thing for you, me, for every one of us. Guys, we have got to be speaking truth as much as we can. Do not let somebody just somehow say or convince you that it's not going to make a difference. When you speak truth, when you speak God's word, not your truth, but God's word, you are actually speaking life. And you're not just speaking into somebody's ears. You're speaking life in a general sense. I'm talking like in, in an ethereal sense. You are speaking truth into the atmosphere. And God's truth is transcendent and it is eternal. And it will accomplish what God sent it out to accomplish. But according to Romans, you've got to speak it. You've got to get it out there. Get it out there through written. Get it out there through your voice. Speak the word of God out there. Because it's living. It's a living thing, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out as a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. First John chapter 1, now John is going to write letters, epistles. He starts his first epistle, first letter, the exact same way he starts his gospel, the exact same way that he was quoting Genesis. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. I'm proclaiming Jesus, transcendent God over everything, Jesus. Not my reality, I'm I'm proclaiming Jesus, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This is now big W word. He is the logos of life. He is the the direction, the proclamation of life. As we, we, as Christians, it's so easy for us to get um, caught up in the routine and the mundane and not really process that, that my, my body belongs to Jesus. My existence belongs to Jesus. And if I'll just speak who he is, if I'll just live who he is in every single circumstance that I can... It's amazing what Jesus can accomplish through that. Even if it's not necessarily you accomplishing something. You may not even know you did it, by the way. Okay? You know, interestingly, after I gave the MLK speech, which the Republicans were scared to death uh, of me doing, but after I gave it, I had many Democrats come up to me afterward and say, thank you for saying that. that, was, that I, and some of them even said, I agree with that completely. Guys, these are, these are human beings that know Jesus is God. They may reject it. They may pretend like they don't believe it. They may act like that this is a bad thing. Guys, at the end of the day, every single human being has this thing that God has put within them that is his connection to his spirit. And, and that, well, that can't be taken away. Oh, you can stifle it and you can callous it to the point where maybe you're not listening or maybe you're just doing your own thing. But at the end of the day, everybody, every person you come through in the grocery store, everybody has this, this I need God sense. They just don't necessarily know that it's Jesus, right? But how, how do we get them to know it's Jesus? We tell them that that longing, that lack of peace, that hunger, that, that something missing is, is Jesus. You're needing Jesus to come in and fill that. You need Jesus. The third thing is the living sword of God. I'm going to cherry pick this out of Ephesians 6. This is the armor of God. I'm just going to look at verse 17. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
Now, again, you've got this, this, this uh, things all going on at the same time. You've got the written word that we call the Bible. But remember, that came from Jesus, the Logos, and it is also the proclamation of him from him to us. It is living. All of this is a, is a big circular thing in our existence. It is not just words on a page. It's living and active. It is not just um, the, the Bible as we see it. This is the proclamation, the heartbeat of God, not just about God. It is him. I always try to bring this out with, um, with the Ten Commandments. It's, it's interesting how we, we take something like the Ten Commandments and we encapsulate them down to like these ten sentences and we stick them on our refrigerator. Um, just sort of muddy the refrigerator. I mean, how many times are we going back and reading them? But, but go to the Ten Commandments and don't just limit them to these ten sentences. It's not, that's not what they are. There's a lot of stuff that goes with it. And it starts out with God talking about that he loves us and that he is a jealous God. This is relationship. This isn't rules. Jealousy is a heart, spiritual connection, emotional connection. And then he says, love me with everything about you. Think about a rule. A rule cannot be that. You can't make a rule spiritually like that. How do you tell somebody, love me with your heart, your soul, your mind, your body, everything about you? How, how can you, how, how do you regulate that? What ordinance is that? He says, love me. That's relationship. See, that's the kind of contract and covenant that two people do when they, and say, and agree to when they get married. That's not a, that's not a rule they don't get up every day and say, okay, what are the rules of this classroom? Um, stay married to your spouse. Don't cheat on your spouse. Now, that does come down later, right? But he's talking about heart and spirit and attitude. This is relational. This is, this is the part where we've got to put all this together. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 12, says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. You realize the, the word of God is a living thing that no other book ever written is the same? Even if that book really speaks to you and you're like, wow, that was amazing. Even like a book like written by some Christian author that's really got some depth and stuff to it. Do you realize the only thing that makes parts of it living is the word of God? It's not, that, it's not the author's thoughts. Those can be great. Those can be wonderfully encouraging to us, but they're not living. What's living is the word of God. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Look at this. Cutting between soul and spirit. You understand the reason why that division there, that, or the understanding of those two things even, is pretty important. We are body, soul, spirit. Okay? Soul would be in the category of mind. It's who you are. It's the person. Now, some people use these terms differently, but I'm just taking it from this scripture, which I believe is the right way to approach it. Body, flesh, Soul, you, the personality. In fact, the person that's looking at me right now is the soul. I can't see you. I can only see the outward thing that you're living in. I didn't mean that pejoratively. It's, it's, it's a beautiful body that you have. But, but I can only see that. I can't see you. You can see the outward of me, but you... That's the soul that is looking at me, and I'm looking at the body. And here's the part that I can't see, but I can see evidence of sometimes, 
But you know is there is your spirit. The spirit part of you is what connects with God. This is what Romans, well, the whole book of Romans, really, but Romans specifically, like 5, 6, 7, and 8, talk about this. That you, as the person, the soul, can listen to the spirit if you decide. But the soul is also connected to the world and to the flesh, and you can listen to that if you decide. So he says that the sword of the word the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, cuts between the soul, the part of us that can connect to the flesh, cuts between the soul and the Spirit, and cuts all the stuff out of there so that we have a good communicative line between us and the Holy Spirit. God creates the Spirit part of us to interact with Him. And we have that. Which, by the way, animals don't. Because animals were not created in the image of God. they got a soul. They have a personality. They have all that stuff. But the, the, the sword cuts between and makes sure that there is a cleanness between there. And then he says, between joint and marrow. And I think, I think this is talking about in the fleshly sense, cuts between the stuff that keeps us from being, from what I see here. Okay, I've heard a lot of descriptions. This is what I think. Is that it cuts between whatever could hinder the mobility of us in, in physicalness in relationship with God. Not just spiritually obedient, but that we're going to bring this into physical obedience. The, the physicalness of who we are. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Has God's word ever done that to you? Yeah. For the most part, it's good. Sometimes it's not. I mean, it's all good, but sometimes it's uncomfortable. We don't like it. But the fact that we have the opportunity to have our innermost thoughts and desires revealed. Now, in, in the church concept that I grew up in, this was kind of more of an outward thing than I think what Scripture is talking about. I don't think that God is trying to expose your innermost thoughts and desires to the people around you. And that's kind of the way I understood it as a kid. In fact, I thought that for a long time, that if I do something wrong, Jesus is standing there waiting to tell everybody, starting with my parents, but to tell everybody, right? But that's not God doesn't want to do that to you. He doesn't want to embarrass you. The reason that it has to get public is because you've hidden it and hidden it and hidden it. And truth will always rise to the surface. Truth will expose everything long term. If you say, well, I don't want anybody to know about this. This is the simple way to deal with that. Just repent, get it under the blood of Jesus, and Jesus will forget it and throw it to the ends of the, to the, uh, under the sea and to the ends of the earth, never to be remembered. He's not going to expose you in front of people. Because you repented to him. You got it taken care of. But keep hiding it and eventually it will become exposed. And Satan definitely wants to expose everything that's going on in your life. Right? Exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Not to anybody else. Now, being accountable to Jesus makes you accountable to other people, but it's not because you're directly accountable to them. It's because you're accountable to Jesus. Okay, the reason that you need to be accountable to your boss at work and be uh, submissive to your boss at work is because you're submitted to the king first. Not because your boss is a great guy or whatever. That's not the point. It's because you're submitted to the king, and when you're submitted to the king, you're submitted to authority in the process. The fourth thing, the Logos destroys all that stands against him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. This is the same description as the fiery furnace, right? We see the Son of Man. Now, this is important because this is Jesus that we're talking about. This is not God the Father. 
And we get this confused when we're looking at this, right? We all, here's the way we know this. We always show Jesus, when we always paint pictures and stuff, Jesus looks like one of the Bee Gees. And God looks like this big white-haired, you know, Zeus guy, right? That's how we paint those two things, okay? But look at this. This son of man, Jesus, he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool and the pastors, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. Look at this. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. Jesus does not wield the sword of the Spirit, Word of God. He is the Word of God. When he speaks, the sword is actively cutting at that moment. He doesn't pull out his New Testament and read so that people will know. He is the Logos. He is that cutting sword. That's why we shouldn't resist it. I know it's uncomfortable when the, when the sword of the Spirit begins to cut into our lives and cut the stuff that the Lord is not pleased with. I know that that is difficult. I experience it regularly. But we should look to it because it is Jesus. It's not just something he's doing. He didn't send the Holy Spirit on an errand to go make us feel bad. It's him. He is the word. <clears throat> the sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. Now let's jump forward to Revelation 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. Now some people get this battle right here. Confused with the battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, 39. Um, that is not, the battle of Gog and Magog was against Israel. It happens way before this. This is the battle of Armageddon. Okay? This is not a battle against Israel. This is a battle against Jesus, which I've always thought was a stupid idea. I've never understood. We're going to fight against Jesus. We've established that he's Jesus, and you still want to fight him. And then he comes riding out of the clouds on a white horse, and you're like, I think we got this. <laughs> who, who thinks that? You know who thinks that? People that are so caught up in the darkness and the sin and the rebellion, they can't see past anything and see truth. Because there are people all around you all the time that, that that's their existence. And I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophets were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword it came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. This is Jesus. This is the Logos. You, you cannot ever get away from the truth of Jesus Christ. You can't. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. So stand with me if you would. 
This is what I'd like to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray f- with us, for us here in a second, okay? But this is what I'd like to do. And you don't have to do this, right? You don't have to do this. I have learned very recently that in a large group like this, just because everybody says I, doesn't mean you'd have to. You can just go. But I would like to encourage you to, okay? Five things that I wrote down. These are declarations. These are, um, these are proclamations of, of my heart and my spirit with this, and I'd like to share them with you and, and get you to respond to this, okay? We're going to do a little response thing. These are the five things. I'll read them to you first, and then we'll say them together if you want to. Five things. First, I will learn the word of God. This is a declaration, a proclamation to me, myself. I will learn the word of God. The second, I will submit to the word of God. Those are not, learning and submitting are not the same thing. The third thing, I will defend the word of God. The way you defend the word of God is with the word of God, not your own thoughts. The fourth one, I will spread the word of God. And then the fifth one, I will live the word of God. Let me pray for us and then we'll repeat them. God, we we ask you to put these into our spirit. Jesus, you're the word, I'm not. Jesus, you're the living sword. You're the living word of life, I'm not. Jesus, I want to make the word of God my foundation. And I pray for anybody in this room, Lord. That, that the Bible is boring to them and it's not something that they engage. I get that. I get that. But Lord, they need to they need to, to dig into this. They need to dig farther than where they are. Lord, give opportunity this week as they open the Bible and they read maybe something they've never read before that bring excitement, bring your life, let your life explode within theirs. Let your truth start moving through not just their, their heart but their mind too and show them there's There's a lot of stuff here. God, give us a hunger for your word. Give us a passion for your word, an excitement for your word. Lord, help us to realize that that's that's really the source of truth. There's, There's no other source of truth. Lord, you are the absolute truth. Any other truth has come from you. We commit this to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. So if you would like, let's say these together. First one, I will learn the word of God. I feel like you guys were a little weak there. Let's do that again. I will learn the word of God. I will submit to the word of God. I will defend the word of God. I will spread the word of God. And I will live the word of God. Guys, this is where our hope is. This is where our hope is. So take some opportunity this week. Whatever your, you know, reading process or learning. If you're not a reader, get it on audio. I mentioned this Wednesday night. You can, you can get the Bible on audio now and Darth Vader will read it to you. I'm not making that up. Okay? Um. If you're not a reader, listen to it. But guys, get the Word of God and digest it. Get the Word of God, digest it. And make a plan for this week. Don't forget to go out and talk to uh, Logan. Get to know him a little bit better. Get his prayer card. I did want to mention this. Just a little um, nice little gift for Lynn and I. Uh, Another missionary that we've known. His parents 
before his parents were married, when Lynn and I were not married, uh, is Austin Hines up here. He's also from the West Slope. Don't hold that against him. Um, but he's also... So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance. Tell somebody about the Word of God. Tell somebody about the Logos, the truth. God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. If you're coming to the journey, make sure you've signed up or you talk to us. We'll see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.